You're listening to Part B of the Prabhu Podcast for September 21st, 2005, sponsored by HariKrishna.com. Most gurus depend upon their own disciples to sort of promote them like uh, agents <coughs> and recruit uh, these susceptible newcomers, regardless of where they, what kind of temple they're from. In Canada, especially, there's no, you know, overly prominent guru, and meaning they've had so many various gurus uh, throughout the last twenty so years that every temple is. Um, is a rainbow of different disciples who I suppose it's natural that they promote their own guru and consequently in his particular case with Bhakti Murak Swami that uh, newcomers which he's recruited, trained, uh, developed a relationship with have opted to go and get initiated by persons that they, they, they don't even know and which is another aspect of the whole ISKCON guru scenario is that if you are, in a sense, develop a relationship with a guru and it's based on practical circumstances, then there's a tendency for for a neophyte to become familiar with that guru. And, you know, familiarity beats a certain amount of contempt in there. And it also makes one think, well, you know, maybe there's someone better out there. Of course, if Yiskan itself uh, promoted the Shiksha concept and de-emphasized Diksha, then that wouldn't be such a bad idea, wherein a newcomer could travel or learn from a whole variety of different uh, Shikshas who are you know, expert uh, in different um, aspects of Krishna consciousness. Naturally, they, especially in the older devotees such as Bhakti Mark Swami, is good at, uh, is at drama and he has a lot of interesting uh, and uh, complementary qualities, whereas other gurus have other expertise, which may, of course, be a newcomer who may be inclined to go and take training in that regard and associate and get a well-rounded experience in Krishna consciousness. But as soon as you add this Diksha element to it, then you are adding a whole other dimension because as per the definition of Diksha, that the Diksha becomes your eternal guru, at least the way that it's presented nowadays, and that the Diksha guru, you know, rules supreme. Even if you want to associate with another guru, you know, the Diksha Guru has to approve. And most Diksha Gurus aren't inclined to do that. And because other Gurus <coughs> are, you know, by definition, automatically Shikshas, then, of course, they're, according to the way the philosophy is presented uh, today, are in a relegated to a less important position which is not our Siddhanta, which is not what the Sampradayacharyas preach, which is not our history. You know, the story of Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, which is on the HariKrishna.com website, serves as a perfect example. And uh, I encourage uh, any listener to go and read the section. But uh, this aspect of Krishna consciousness is not, um, like I said,
say promoted, both in uh, ISKCON nor the Gordian Mount. It's a big shame. It's it's not. I I, b I believe, and neither does Bhakti Marg believe. And uh, and he shared with me that there are many other authorized Diksha gurus within ISKCON who are in his sort of category, in his camp, and they have been discussing behind closed doors and without c causing too much uh, disturbance. Uh, they, you know, differ uh, from the other sort of what are called right-wing, or those who really promote the almost the zonal acharya concept. And he still holds out hope that he and others can come up with a formula that will lend itself to reformation within ISKCON and uh, be able to convince others that this is the best way to go and that our present program or their present program is uh, is not working and uh, is a source of great uh, anxiety and not according to Prabhupada's wishes. I, on the other hand, disagree with him on that. I, I believe that uh, it's a lesson of futility, that uh, his idea of ISKCON is not really accurate. In fact, ISKCON in itself is somewhat of a mirage, that uh, it's not really as international cooperative a effort as many of the senior GBCs and sannyasis, Diksha Guru types, uh, would like others to believe. and. Whether they believe it or not, that's a different matter. But so if you look at the practical reality, uh, it's all very localized. And every situation is not only different, but you know, tailored to different uh, circumstances such as ethnicity, who is the guru, what his predominant concepts are, what... Um, you know what the circumstances are locally, and so on, and and the you know the variegatedness within ISKCON is pretty phenomenal. I mean, even within Canada, which is Bhakti Mark Swami's main territory for preaching, you know, there's all sorts of 100% Indian-bodied devotees who have temples in Edmonton, Calgary, Regina, Thunder Bay, uh, Ottawa. And predominantly, even in Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal, it's mainly the Indians who are managing and supporting those temples, which is is wonderful. It's nice. It's uh, it saved the day, so to speak, because in the early days, of course, we know that it's, it was a totally different um, type of circumstance, and uh, the Westerners, you know, were supporting the temple through different. Sankirtan techniques, as we used to euphemistically call it, which were really just different, very uh, crude methods of making uh, money, almost carnival-like. But anyway, we used to make uh, up the budget that that way in the early days, and now it's done by householders who contribute part of their salaries uh, to uh, to support. Them. The, the basic uh, overheads at the temples and whatever expansions are required in maintenance. And I'm not questioning the sincerity of whatsoever of uh, non-Westerners or Hindu-Indian type uh, Prabhupada followers. I found there's many, many sincere personalities who fall into that category. But that obviously gives a certain flavor to the temple to a point where, you know, Westerners 
don't feel that, don't find it easy to integrate into that circumstance and become part of the, the temple. And for the most part, the temple is not designed or geared to accommodate Westerners. So, of course, that was Prabhupada's main and Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati's main <coughs> desire and thrust of their preaching was to convert and train and Westerners. Not that he ever excluded or discouraged those from uh, those who are immigrants or those who are born here <coughs> from that uh, ethnic group, but at the same time, I think that um, you know there are limitations, obviously, to this kind of the way things are done nowadays. So there's that particular circumstance, and then there's the circumstance in this gun where, like with Pierre Krishna Swami, where he has his own ashram, which is very sort of based on a traditional concept. He's the exclusive guru, and everyone basically is uh, his disciples, or, and he manages and oversees the entire uh, circumstance uh, and in North Carolina, and that is another scenario. There's other scenarios where gurus and diksha gurus are like we see it now at the Gita Nagari, you know, of course Bhakti Tirtha Swami has just departed, so mainly prior to that and even now it's all his disciples practically who run the entire circumstance there and um, Rabindra Sarup uh, who is in Philadelphia as another example. So there's that kind of scenario which like I say it's not a well-rounded homogeneous international type of circumstance. You know, people are flying the Escon flag and can fly it as long as they, you know, follow some basic GBC mandates. You know, you can't allow the Rickwick philosophy to be preached. You can't uh, have Godiamath um, representatives or preachers. Uh, you can't accommodate them. And um, you basically can you follow GBC regulations to a certain extent. There's all this controversy, for instance, now at Gita Nagari with Bhakti Tirtha Swami's disciples um, calling him his divine grace and Krishna Pad and all this, which is directly against GBC regulations. There's no one saying or doing anything to prevent that phenomenon from taking it from manifesting. So, you know, GBC regulations are <coughs> flexible to say the least and never enforced unless, of course, uh, there's a circumstance like at Long Island where the temple president has stuck his proverbial neck out and started preaching Rikvik philosophy. So everyone is up in arms about that and GBC resolutions flying here and there about that and legal action and so on. But in a sense, uh, you know, I agree in a sense, too, because I don't accept that philosophy, but at the same time, and I don't believe it's sedantically sound, but I also don't believe that ISKCON's present the Diksha Guru program is, is, sedan is sedantically sound either. Basically, two rival groups uh, fighting it out, you know, in a, in a com competitive atmosphere. It's not, you know, sincere desire to both please Prabhupada and come in, you know, be in complete alignment with the Sampradayacharya and the pure 100% Siddhantic program that um, has been, if one investigates, you know, with an open mind, uh, can, one can easily see that today, whether it be Eskan, Gaudiamath, or Rikvik, they're not in line.
this topic or aspect of Krishna consciousness, Sanadanta, which is, of course, the initiation issue. This concludes Part B of the Prabhu Podcast for September 21st, 2005. Hare Krishna. Thank you.